This is the one with me. A hangman left hanging. Medieval Malcolm Gladwell. A Santa escape plan. Lenny the Lion. <laughs> Gallows humour. A sinister selfie. And can you hear your chums, Leandro? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. It's called The Woman Who Lived. Here, Here we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel sound. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and Wow. Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Hello, dearest podcast land, and welcome to yet another fantastic episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Oh, Doc Past. Ha <laughs> ha, correcto mundo. This is N123 of Who Back When, in which we will be discussing the woman who lived. And who are we? Well, I am staring across the ether, across Skype, at two marvellous co-hosts. First off, we have Marie. Hello, Marie. Hello, everyone. And uh, on my screen, on top of Marie, we have Drew. Hello, Drew. Hello. <laughs> and, See uh, everything from up here. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Leon. And yes, I've already said we're going to be talking about The Woman Who Lived, a follow-up-ish to The Girl Who Died. High level, where do we stand? Marie. High level, beginning and ending, awesome. That middle bit with the lion. <laughs> so most of the episode. Not too sure about that bit. <laughs> but overall, I have very good feelings about this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Do you concur, Drew? I liked a bit more of it than that. Okay. Leon, what do you think? <laughs> I'm probably slightly closer to your point of view, Drew. Yeah. Okay, I really thought that you were going to come in all guns blazing and just tear this one to shreds. No, no, no. Well, I also will. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should emphasise. Yes, I also liked a bit more than that but yeah 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 not as strong as the first part i would say <gasps> see i think you've misinterpreted what level i am because uh, i think i liked it better than the first part what i just really disliked the liony bits but everything else <laughs> <was fantastic>. <laughs> <laughs> all right okay well shall we jump into a bite-sized chunk of who and then either lord or berate this episode let's marvelous <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite sized chunk of who. Bite sized chunk of who. The Twelfth Doctor has been led by his aptly named Curio Scanner on a solo mission to England in 1651 to track down an exoplanetary artifact of deadliest purple. But there's a brigand lurking in this particular forest of the night. A former Viking. Dun, dun, dun. Ishilda, now hundreds of years old, amnesiac and disillusioned, has teamed up with mysteriously only fire-belching wood-hider extraordinaire Leandro and is about to pull off one last big score before she can finally blast off this boring rock. Seemingly serendipitously stumbling upon each other mid-penultimate heist, Doc and Ashilda, now rebranded as me, team up, though Doc hopes to evoke in his won't-be companion a sense of decency and nostalgia. Also, the world is at stake. Peace go Peace over. Peace go over. You are welcome. <laughs> Aren't you just? <laughs> 
Yes, you are just. All right. Okay. Holy moly. Here we go. Where do you guys want to start? Well, Leon, I know for a fact that you have a list of introductory questions. I do. I do. Okay. All right. Fine. I will start with one of these questions. Given that both of you have said that you could have probably been slightly more enthused by this episode, do you think that this episode would have been more impactful if there had been a number of episodes between the girl who died and the woman who lived? Mm. I don't think it would have made much difference. Really? Unless they had been thematically building towards this by harping on about questions of immortality and memory loss and so on and goodness knows Moffat's done memory loss far too many times already the theme of this series is inexorably building up to the doctor losing Clara there's no space for any more themes they had to put it here I think possibly the reveal at the beginning would have been more dramatic because at the end of the last episode, we already know it's a two-parter. We know that a shield is going to come back. And so the whole, oh, I'm the, what's he called? The night- Knigget Man. The Nightman. <laughs> yeah. Um, who, I really like the voice, actually, of the Nightmare. I don't know who played. Oh. It sounded very familiar. I call bullshit, but sure, um. yeah. <laughs> Well, it's Wait, not what Maisie Williams. The voice of the nightmare is Will Brown. Mm-hmm. No the thing idea. that I call bullshit on is that through just practice over the course of 500 <laughs> years, she can <laughs> modulate her voice in that capacity. But what I'm suggesting is picture a universe where the last episode did not hint at this being a two-parter. Yeah. It just hinted at her being most likely a recurring character. And then this leads into Zygon Invasion, Zygon Inversion, blah, blah, blah. We might even skip to the next season. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes me. Would that not have been more interesting? Yeah, I think so. And that's what we always say we would like to happen. So when we have characters, like we always said, maybe Jenny could have come back at some point. She went off to travel in time and space. Yes, exactly. And it would be really cool to have an episode with her, and then you just never do. If she came back now, wouldn't that be amazing? That would be really cool. That would be such a good throwback. Yeah. So yeah, I think the surprise opening loses its impact, but I think Drew's right, like the theme of the episode wouldn't have changed very much depending on where it came. Yeah, mm. I think also upon further reflection that it doesn't really tie in with the very ominous foreboding full 360 spin around Maisie Williams at the end of the last episode. I mean, we get a bit of a treatment of she has a darker side here, but the way she glared down the camera lens at the end of the last episode seemed to set up a... A A different character? Yeah, a much more implacable foe than we get. Oh, definitely. So does that mean that you guys were a little disappointed by the darkness in me? No, I wasn't disappointed by hardly anything about me. I know that's a double negative. What I mean to say is (laughs) I thought me was absolutely fine, and I think the problem is with the last episode. Oh, interesting. Specifically just with that last scene of the last episode, or... The Kristen Stewart scene. how it doesn't tie together with this one. Yes, the Kristen Stewart one. I think it was to put a button on the last episode and be like, oh, 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 rub your hands together. We're in for some serious roller coaster evil. And then, no. But I much preferred this way around. Yeah. Okay. I think Mia is fantastic in this episode. I really like her. She shows such a breadth of. She is a bit cold and a bit calculated, and like life is meaningless, and I've lost count of how many people I've killed and all this. But then you see like how much pain she's had and what she's suffered, and yeah, she's a really lovely, well-rounded character. I think she's not the evil being that we expected from the last episode. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. 
I thought she was great in this. But the fact that it happens right after the last episode means that... <laughs> okay, this is going to sound really dumb, but like I don't feel like 500 years have passed. And if... <laughs> We wait she until... just had another couple of weeks to process. <laughs> well, like, I appreciate that this is a season of ish two-parters, but if we had waited until the next season and she had then shown up... Yeah, I completely agree that the last episode ended in a way that could have been toned down to be more congruent with her persona in this episode. But if we had had a few episodes or even a season between her appearances, then I would have bought 500 years passing in a different way. And I would have felt her having matured out of her character in a way that I didn't feel now. Yeah, but at the same time, she has this magical medical repair kit they have to shoot this episode, if nothing else, now. Because if Maisie Williams come back oh, and she's that's visibly so aged, true. it doesn't match with the technology. Yeah, that's true. Oh, but you can wibble-wobble that. You can go, oh, it goes by Hollywood vampire rules. Like, this gadget will only allow you to grow up until the age of attractive mid-twenties something. And then stop. And then yeah, you and just then you make sure never to cast her giant... again. Sorry? And then you get recast as a giant face in a beaker. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, is that what they did to Captain Jack? Did he just get too old to play him anymore? No, because he came back last series. And he's coming back this Christmas. Do you know that the giant face in a beaker is also in this episode? I did. Of course you did, Drew. (laughs) (laughs) Because Struan Roger, the chap who played Clayton, the butler, also the face of Bo. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay, he was jolly. I just warmed to him immediately. He's just a very nice man. Yeah, he was a cheerful presence. Well, <laughs> that might be pushing <laughs> it a bit. <laughs> he, he sort of bumbled in into shot and made a joke about it's always the quiet ones who seek the voice of Bo and then reappear decades later and then yeah. snuck off again. I mean, how good is Lady Me's life? She comes down for breakfast and gets a cocktail every morning. <laughs> I know! <laughs> Among my questions, <laughs> I have, did they have cocktails in the 17th century? Is that a thing? She invented them. Like, how did she, she invent them? Years. Because she got so bored of drinking things on their own, she started putting them together. <laughs> yeah, she's probably been a barmaid for 100,000 hours. Exactly. <laughs> you telling me no one's invented a new drink during quarantine? No, I'm sure there have been tons of new cocktails <laughs> invented during quarantine. Most of them absolute abominations, but... <laughs> she probably invented, like, the mule driver. Oh, is that wine mixed with slightly older wine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thrown in to sweeten up, take away some of the tang. Alright, cool. Okay. Maybe the lion guy brought cocktails over. That leads me to another one of my questions. Okay. What is up with all of these space felines? There are space cats. So many space cats. Yeah, no, that's true, actually. Yeah, but they can clearly do space cats. I had some real cognitive dissonance watching this episode where I thought, this lion is going to look so crap. And he didn't. He looked fine. And every time he came back on screen, I'm like, he's going to look crap this time. He just doesn't. He's (laughs) perfectly serviceable. Yeah, he looks fantastic. If I was Jim now, I would be making a Red Dwarf reference and I would be telling you that they've all evolved from the ship's cat in Red Dwarf and three million years, they all went off into space and found a different species. And that's why there's so many space cats out there. Wow! (laughs) I'm going to be a little kitty! (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, So we have these lion people. We've had the cat people in New Who. 
we had cheetah people in Classic Who with, I believe, the seventh doctor. Mm. That's a lot of cat people. And I googled this. There's also some novel. I want to say it's called Doctor Who and the Invasion of the Cat People. And that is just straight up cats. Like, that's not lions or cheetahs or any. That's just straight up cats. Like, it's human beings with a domestic cat face. It's pretty badass. Anyway, question about the Leonian. Did you guys ever watch Beauty and the Beast with Ron Perlman and Linda Hamilton? I did not. No, I don't think so. (laughs) Oh, good. Neither did I. (laughs) 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 It's one of the few American shows that aired in Sweden as I was growing up. This cat dude looks exactly like Ron Perlman in Beauty and the Beast. I kid you not, Google Beauty and the Beast, Ron Perlman, and you will see what I mean. That is really weird because we walk Evie around our estate a fair bit. There are some really big cats on roads where we commonly walk. And I have started calling one of them Ron Perlman because he has most of his facial features, like from the nose down, the really wide, thick, overbuilt jaw. That's funny. Hang on, I have to send you this. Okay, so I've literally just Googled Ron Perlman, Beauty and the Beast on that link. Ah, right. I was looking up, there is a film, The Cat People, from 1942, and The Curse of the Cat People followed in 1944, and then they remade it as an erotic horror in the 80s or something. What was it called again? It's just this cat people. (laughs) It's just a long-standing obsession with... Uh, you know what animals are cool and would make humans cool by association if they were sort of part of that? Mm. I get it. Tails. I get it. Tails and slinky movement and agility and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Just way more attractive to filmmakers than dogs. Well, you say that. Foxtails are pretty cool as well. Anyway, let's get back on topic. <laughs> if it's dogs, it's usually like, it's werewolves, isn't it? It's wolves, isn't it? Not dogs. Yeah. Dogs are just not as cool as cats, Drew. You've got to face it. Cats have retained a bit more of their wildness. They're a bit more independent. And you can imagine them wanting to take over a planet. Dogs are just going to be like, oh, who's going to throw me a stick now? Someone clip my hair for me because it's getting too long and it's in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm completely incapacitated by the slightest hint. Exactly. A cat is only barely domesticated. There's a thrill and a frisson whenever you try to do anything with a cat because it could just murder you then and there. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you not seen their claws? It could kill you in its sleep. No, I'm aware of it. Why do you think I don't have one? (laughs) Also, Thundercats will surely be part of the cats. Oh, yeah, there you go. And Cats the musical. Oh, bloody hell, they're everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, they're everywhere. (laughs) But. I have to say, the cat in this Doctor Who episode was much better than the latest Cats film. I haven't seen it. Have you seen it? No, but I've seen clips and they're all a bit weird. Sexy. Oh, weird, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Starring Doctor Who alum James Corden. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't thinking of him when I said that. I like to think that Leandro and the Lyonians are very much like the Thundercats, and they're fleeing from a war where they're fighting against the mummy on the Orient Express. That could be potentially incredibly badass. Yeah. <laughs> could we add that as audiobook six? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Just give me an excuse to Photoshop a cover with someone wearing a tail. I'm your man. The people who own the Thundercats IP will come for us. But sure, it's It'll fine. Be a blast Whatever. While it's there. We'll call them Donna Cats. It'll be fine. <laughs> so I have plenty more questions here, but if you guys have a tangent that you want to start us off on, then just say the word. Well, let's talk about the lovely lion cat. Should we be calling it a lion king? Oh, yeah. Yes. Lion king. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Wait, why was that not one of the intro lines? 
Oh man, <laughs> he's got a clown. He does. <laughs> Genius. Um, well done. But yeah, why was he such a terrible villain? Because he did look really cool and like putting his laser into the sky and letting all his buddies. He come does the Avengers it. thing, yeah. Yeah, he should have been quite a cool villain, but he just didn't seem to have any. I think there was so much going on with the Doctor and me that he was just stood in the background without very much to do, and Doc just immediately went, "Oh, he's bad." I, I, I looked up his species, and they yeah. have never, ever been revisited. Like, no. not even in short story form, according to Todd's wiki. Like, that is how worthless the Hooniverse deems these people. Yeah. Yeah, Big Finish have passed them over for a revisit. They're at the oh. bottom of the list. Oh. Well, maybe that's the problem with there being too many space cats. So if you're ever going to have a story with another cat people, another feline alien, then you're going for the cheetah people from Classic Who, because yeah, that's true. been anchored in the Hooniverse in a way that this chap never was. Do you think it would have been better if they had brought back a villain that we knew? So you can do the shortcut then. You don't have to work out who it is. You see someone, you go, oh, no, he's a bad guy. If you're in league with him, it must be terrible. I mean, I haven't seen that Cheetah People episode, but how about we make him a Cheetah person? Yeah. Like, wouldn't that be a bajillion times better already? No, no, because then Michael Ridgway is tearing his hair out. The the freaking Cheetah People, they went to all the trouble to bring them back from the days, and they get... (laughs) One bozo wearing a crown on Earth, and then you glimpse their spaceships, low-res, far away, through a cosmic anus, and it closes immediately, and they're gone again for oh, two decades. Or you more. had me at cosmic oh, anus, and you lost me at closed immediately. But... The, 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 <laughs> Titans around the... Yeah. Oh. yeah, but then, post-Space Sphincter, again, I'm going to say, fast forward another season. Now, we in the new universe know yeah. that they are a threat. Now you can bring back this foe. And now you can have more adventures where the Doctor, or Doctors, you know, future Doctors, encounter them. Mm. This basically just dilutes it. And the guy, he breathes fire, really? He breathes fire. And then he does nothing with that. He just breathes fire in one scene. It's like, yeah, fuck it. It's just this one thing. Two that scenes, I do. but in both of them equally for show. Was it two scenes? Ineffective. Yeah, he breathes it once the portal's been opened and he's scaring everybody running around by the gallows. Yeah, it's lame. It's so quick that you didn't even notice it. I didn't. Mm. <laughs> I had a different problem with Leandro's plot. Okay. We have seen this tired old lie that he was the last of his kind and he yeah. needed some help many times before. And we've seen it deployed recently in Who Back When twice. Wait, which ones? Well, would you like to think back to the Fisher King? I know he's playing Oh, possum, yeah. Oh, yes, that's true. He is a single representative of his race and he's trying to bring them to Earth just via coordinates instead of a portal. Can you think of the second one? I'll give you a couple of seconds. Oh, Marie, I'm going to rely on you here. Oh, no, I don't know. Can you give us a hint, Drew? Oh, Lord Leandro. Oh, my goodness, of course. The... It's the classic Naimon playbook. Oh, this is this is the Naimons. Oh, I mean, it's not the Naimons, but yeah, you're right. This plot is exactly the same. Yeah, fuck it. His lie is the exact same. You're right. Mm. I'm the last of my kind. There's no one else. Oh, let's use some technology and then let's bring all my buddies around. Oh, you said there wouldn't be anyone else. Yeah. (laughs) It's the Doctor Who equivalent of you head to the nearest bar and you say, yeah, I've actually just got out of a 
really long-term relationship and everybody just fucking swoons and says, please check up with me I'll help you anything you need wait that works all right <laughs> just making a quick note <laughs> oh you're in tomorrow night <laughs> oh it's bloody lockdown isn't it <laughs> But we've also had the last Dalek. Yeah. If there's only one of a species left, there's probably a good reason. Kill it. You'll be doing the universe a favor. Yeah, exactly. Darwin gives you a thumbs up. It's the one I missed. Let's not let Drew near any endangered species. eh? In, In your mind, what we should do is we should pluck a few cells off Leandro and then crossbreed or splice it into just a regular domestic cat, wait a few years until Leandro gets too desperate, the two of them hump. And then all of a sudden, you've like reintroduced Leandros into the whole world. It's great. Yeah, why not not, indeed, Leon? (laughs) Pop them on that planet with all the other ones that are on their own. (laughs) Yeah, the two dudes from... uh... Time Heights? Yes, exactly. Yes, thank you. (laughs) The space cows and the space lights. That, like, shadow spidery creature from the big old haunted house. Yeah. Hide. Pop yes, like that. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they love it on there. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> I can't remember what the original question was, but awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Did he have to be called Leandro? I know, this pissed me off so much. He is a Leonian from Delta Leonis. His name <laughs> is Leandro. It's but- not like I'm called Earth boy <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's not just that like you're called earth boy you're stuck on some alien planet and you're called whatever the translation of earth boy would be into that domestic language yeah let's all just take a moment to give a gigantic fuck you to that naming convention because <laughs> wow we if this doesn't just <sighs> You know what? I have no energy. Uh, I, uh, no, I disapprove. My only note was that he presumably fled his home planet with Queen Leonora and their children, Leander and Leonda. And um, Eleanor. Yeah. Why? Why is his name not Leon? <laughs> <laughs> Why Thank he... you. <laughs> <laughs> so much cooler. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Maybe I can think of a new Twitter handle, not Leandro or something like that. I'll figure it out. <laughs> okay, if there's nothing else about Lenny the Lion, how about we switch gears and we talk about me? You? E- Shilder. It's Ashilder, but sure. Ashilder. Oh. That's the one. Okay, question. Why wouldn't it be good, quote unquote? When the doctor is asked by her, are you going to travel with me? He goes, it wouldn't be good. Why? That line pissed me off so much because he just refuses to give her an answer and she's this poor woman who's been through so much and finally the man who gave you this eternal life is coming back and she thinks he's come back for her and then when he's just so cold-heartedly like, oh yeah, it was just coincidence, I wasn't here for you. And he refuses to give her a proper answer. He doesn't treat her like an adult. He's just like, no, we just couldn't. There's no reason and that just annoys me so much. I'm assuming the unspoken reason is, listen, Ashilda slash me, thing is, you are booked solid to shoot Game of Thrones for the next few years. There is no way we could organize this. Logistically, there is no way. Like, unless... I really, really love you, but you're too expensive. We can't, exactly. Uh, we can only get you for these three episodes. Yeah. Unless Game of Thrones starts shooting in Wales, or who can move the <laughs> yeah. entire production crew to wherever Game of Thrones was shot, fucking Iceland or something. No, it was, then... it was shot in Northern Ireland. It was, oh, was it? close to Wales. Oh. 
Okay, well, she's too busy anyway. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the reason. That is clearly you can't the reason. have a series headlining role on two different shows. But you said before recording, both of you combined to say, "How annoying is it that she doesn't get a credit? She doesn't get a credit for this." <laughs> Jenna Coleman. Yeah. She is the companion in this episode. Yeah, she is. Dag nabbit, Jenna Coleman. Oh, sorry. Just the companion, just the co-lead. She yeah. holds fifty percent of the episode. If not more. Yeah, on her very young but very capable acting shoulders. Absolutely. I mean, I made multiple notes saying surely this performance is beyond most 18-year-olds, if not most actors of any age. I'm still shocked that she was 18 when she did this. It's crazy. Yeah, she's she, so talented. She's yeah. a fantastic actress, yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing I really like is her dynamic with the doctor. And she never lets him... He's so used to like walking into a situation and taking charge and being like, I'm going to do this the way. And she doesn't let him. The scene where they're breaking into the house and they're kind of both trying to one-up each other every time. It's like, well, I know how to break in and I'm going to turn the lights on with my sonic glasses and I'm going to do this and da-da-da. Yeah, I bet you so don't know fun. the way, though, do you? Exactly. Yeah, that was so much fun to watch. And I yeah, really, really enjoyed... Experiences. I'm regretting sharing this one. <laughs> <laughs> Great line. Excellent yes. line. <laughs> I really enjoyed the music in this scene as well. It was really kind of plinky-plonky, comedic kind of, we're going on an escapade type music. And it just made me think back to the unicorn and the wasp, which I really, really, really hated. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I really want to re-listen to that review now. I remember you, Leon, trying to defend it and saying, it's so charming. I was charmed by it. And I was not charmed by it. But I was charmed by this scene in this episode. I found it very charming. I thought the music really helped. Were you charmed by the redonkulous vaud hiding during the burglary? Because that really <laughs> got on my nerves. Oh, the I'm standing fully two feet above the end of this 17th century sofa this guy has fallen asleep on. Yeah, or like I'm walking up the stairs. I'm carrying a candlestick and someone is two meters away from me. Oh, I'll just stand still and hold my hand in front of the flame. They will never see me me thereby illuminating my face all the better <laughs> i was gonna say when they pulled back from that shot all you could see was this big massive light where the candle was like your hand is not doing anything darling <laughs> no people that maid is <clears throat> servicing after dark she's got the whole household on retake <laughs> No, I just wasn't a fan of that. But I guess my original point was about the doctor's view of her. So he doesn't deem her, I mean, officially, officially he doesn't deem her companion material because maybe she's not good enough a person or something to that effect. But this is the person who tried to domesticate Missy. Like two, three, however many episodes, a season later or something. Yeah, next season. He will try to domesticate Missy, who has murdered entire planets worth of people. Yes, but, but, I rewatched that recently. Mm-hmm. He does that because the only alternative is Missy gets executed, and he doesn't say, you know, I could domesticate her overnight. He gives it a full thousand years. He's like, I might be able to achieve this in a millennium if things go really well. <laughs> <laughs> It's not just, you know what, I fancy bringing Missy onto the same page. I've never really given that the full college try. It's a bit more involved than that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I liked in a way that this episode, I almost call it a play because 
it feels like I could go to like the Burton Taylor Theatre in Oxford and watch a really sparsely attended science fiction double hander on the nature of humans being granted immortality and what that means for the brain and the self. Anyway, I'm, I'm sorry, that's to digress hugely and into my rating. I'm glad it didn't say, this is exactly why you can't come traveling with me. Because you can piece it together from everything that is said later on in the episode of how, well, if we are too distant and vast and remote, we're just going to view everybody as so beneath our help. In the last episode, she said, so you basically view everyone else in the universe as an idiot. And he's like, yeah, exactly. And now she's come to that place and he's like, oh, shit, uh... I've got to reverse this somehow. And if we were together, that wouldn't happen. It's all a rich stew and you can put it together for yourself. Show, don't tell, etc., etc. Okay. All right. I think other motivations were behind his statement. The realities of television production. Exactly. <laughs> but... I think as well, like, because he's traveled with, definitely in Classic Who, he's traveled with other Time Lords, hasn't he? As a companion. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. yeah. So that, like, oh, that we are too above humanity and now our scope is too vast doesn't always apply because he does travel with other... Like, he travelled with Jack as well for a short period and that never came up. So I think it's more... He's wracked with guilt of what he's done to this woman and he doesn't want to face it every day. Like, it's a bit of a selfish thing. um, That this is constant reminder of this person who no longer feels connected to humanity. I don't know. But yes, he never gives her a proper reason. Like, she comes up with the our perception of things is too vast he doesn't say that she says that and i think she's trying she needs a reason she can't just leave it at no she has to try and come up with a logistic why she can accept it but yeah i think it's a bit of a cowardly move on his part actually i think it's also plausible though because it's about the 12th doctor's personality as a jaded old man not being suitable for cohabiting with me as she is at the beginning of this episode. Tom Baker, when he was with Romana, he was just a space monkey going around and having crazy adventures. But, it wasn't the, yeah? No, no, so, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go for it. But you said a massive butt. Let's hear it. <laughs> but, <laughs> hang on, you said massive butt and I suddenly lost my train of thought. The first Doctor was also a surly, at times curmudgeon, older granddad. And he travelled as soon as he had just dumped his granddaughter in post-apocalyptic <laughs> London with one with shoe a potato. <laughs> and a potato, <laughs> a potato farmer. At that point, he immediately went out and just found a replacement, really young person, like super duper young person compared to himself, I mean. And not just one, several. He had lots of companions who were much, much younger, much more vivacious and much more at the start of their arc as a character than he was. The Doctor is this character who is perpetually at the end of his arc. He has already matured. He has already found his place in the universe, but he is constantly landing. He has yet to land. You know, he'll land when the show ends. In brackets, hopefully never. So never. Exactly. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is, this is not unheard of. We have had this before. Capaldi could absolutely pick up someone who is much, much younger than he is, such as 500-year-old Ashilda, and Mm. travel with her. Uh, No, I feel like 500 years in human terms is thousands and thousands of years in Time Lord terms. I feel like they're pretty much equivalent, or they're set up as equivalent in their superannuation. Right. You know what? No, I disagree with you. See previous statement about the character arc. 
Ashilda uh-huh. is, yeah, sure, she's 500 years old and she's seen much of her world. But she is very young in the sense of viewing the universe. She's very young. And in introspectively viewing her own development, she is incredibly young. She changes throughout this one single episode. She's still growing. She's developing as a person. And there's plenty more scope left at the end of this episode. That's sort of the shtick at the end of the episode, isn't it? It's like, I've course corrected you now. By the way, I am the doctor. I have course corrected you a little bit now. And now you have plenty of time to figure out what you want to do with the rest of eternity. And that's fine, I think. I don't think it's fine in terms of, I think it's really cruel because this is what she said in the beginning is don't do this to me. You want to come here and fix me and you'll go off on your way and I'll be happy and I'll be a shielder again and everything will be fine, la-di-da. But what's going to happen the next 500 years when she again loses everyone? Yeah, yeah, no, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. To clarify, what I mean is fine is it would be fine for him to travel with her now and to keep course correcting and keep sort of mentoring her in a way. Yeah, but the fact that he just abandons her again. It's shit, isn't it? It's really cruel. It's really shit. Yeah. I mean, look at it another way, but it depends on the episode having done some other things which it doesn't do because she came from a village and the village yeah. as the doctor says at the beginning of this episode was her entire life mm. and that really contrasted with his perpetual runaway persona last week and now she's forgotten it all this week so he restores that to her but in a broader planetary sense like earth is her natural home she doesn't really, just because she's really bloody old, have an inalienable, ironically, right to just bugger off to the stars and play with the extraterrestrials. Her home should be, is perhaps a strong way of putting it, but her proper home is on Earth as a human, and she should reconnect with her human self. Wait, That's- is that not a rule that applies to every single human companion he's ever picked up, though? Exactly, yeah. Has she not got as much, if not more, right to go off and play in these alien places than any other companion he's ever travelled with. Here's my friend like, who agrees why, with Why me. does Clara have the right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I would say she she has less because of where she came from, because of who she was originally as the girl who was at home in the village. This is all complete speculation, but if she heads off to space, what is she trying to find? Adventure? I suppose that is what the series is all about. Hmm. You may be honest <laughs> <that>. yeah, <laughs> Every single human... Bored. She's seen every possible human emotion that she can see. She's witnessed. Her, like it takes a day to get to Kent. Life is boring in that time. Yeah, but period. think of all the cool people you can meet on the way to Kent. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, I'm sorry to cut you off, Drew. Well, but seriously, <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, uh, Kent, full of lorries, lorry drivers, <laughs> handing over their passports. Okay. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry to interrupt. Take a shielder out of this conversation and write her with Clara or Rose or genuinely anyone. Your favourite, what's her face? Donna Noble. That's Donna the one. Noble. <laughs> Donna Noble. Oh, Donna Noble. You've been on Earth. I'm not going to name an amount of decades. You've been on Earth for a while and... A short while. A short while. But you have a personality that is accepting of outside impulses. You have a personality with whom I mesh. 
And why wouldn't I give you this opportunity to go and see the wider universe and you'll grow as a person and then I'll plonk you back on Earth or whatever. Maybe Donna Noble is a bad example in this case, but like (laughs) almost any other companion, classic or new, has been an Earth person, a human being who has lived up until, let's say, between 25 and 35 years on Earth and who has experienced as far as they're concerned, everything there is to experience there, and there's just more of the same. So now let's give them a few more external impulses. What is the difference? Marie, I am 100% on your side in this case. I'm sorry, Drew. Yeah, but I was saying that because of Ishilda, who she was and the journey she's taken, she isn't so suited to go into space. And then your argument is, yeah, but everyone but Ishilda is suited to go into space. No, but I think Ishilda is so much more suited. Just because who we saw last episode was a 16-year-old who'd never left the village, who only knew um, this circle of Vikings that are her family... And that's her entire life experience. Now, she's 500 years old. She's learned every skill she could possibly need to be a useful companion. She's got 100,000 hours worth of, like, picking locks and speaking in a manly voice and doing... 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, was it 10,000 No, it's Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, it takes 10,000 hours to be an expert in something. Yeah, and 100,000 hours, you are the best that's ever lived or something. Oh, right. Yeah. So she is the best. At so many things like archery and blah 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 like so the person that you're comparing her to was last week like maybe a shielder last week wasn't ready to go traveling with the doctor but a shielder this week after 500 years of experiencing everything and those flashbacks as well like she lived like she has done a whole heap of stuff you know she was queen she ended wars she's had children she survived the plague like she has so much experience on earth with the yeah, exception why is of she now ready yeah we should absolutely have a conversation about her life experience by the way yeah. uh, i suppose it comes down to where does growth of the self end and replacement of the self begin i mean does there need to be continuity i think the doctor is looking at shield and thinking wow there is nothing of the original you left i mean that's not a healthy thing for a human to have happen to them to call themselves me and to completely compartmentalize everything they've ever experienced into the pages of their diary on that note i mean yes marie she has had all that time to learn tons of skills but on the note that you just brought up drew there's one skill that she hasn't picked up and that is just remembering who she is what the shit Surely you would remember most of your life. Yeah, you might forget some details. Oh, I don't, I don't remember where I put my. That, that's what she sounded like in sounded like in the last episode. I don't remember where I put my <laughs> uh, put my medieval book on my table. Yeah. It, but but like she would remember well, my that European she, accent. She would she would remember that she had kids and she would remember all the people that she befriended and married and killed and blah blah. She would remember shit, right? I mean, and actually, she does. She, she does, does remember yeah. the broad outlines. And you... I think the older that you get, that like your your memories are basically stories, and you retell your say. So if you go and talk to like a ninety year old, they will tell you stories from when they were young, from when they had kids, from like the most like important parts of their life. But you know, the last decade is just a walk down to the post office and back, you know, a couple of times a week. It's not, it's not exciting. <laughs> so you, you remember the, wow. The most, uh, like, by the way, moment. Marie calling in over Skype from the 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> 
but no, you like you remember the big moments, but because she never got old and never settled down and never like all of her life is filled with these big moments and but she doesn't have anyone to share them with. She can't tell people because they would never believe her and then she lets on that she's five hundred years old. So, so why, why hasn't she ever used no the second thing, the second chip? Because no one's no one good enough. enough. Yeah. But you're so, not listening, Leon. No, I was listening, but why why did she not use that but not even blink before using it on freaking what's his face, Sam Swift, who now, by the way, also is an immortal. Is she so she had it was multiple children, wasn't it? It wasn't just one child that she lost. There were three, three kids. Little empty beds. Yeah. Because if your children are dying in the plague and you have one immortality chip, maybe it is the like Sophie's choice thing and she just couldn't bring herself to save one and not the others. Oh shit. You know, I would really have loved her to be clutching that chip at that point. Yeah. Have, yeah. have us realise that. That would have been much better. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a good scene anyway. Really but... good. That was possibly was... the best one of those flashbacks, yeah. by the way. But that and the Agincourt could have been pretty badass, actually. It was sorry. When she was like, "Oh yeah, I went to Agincourt, and I, I, I mean, I yeah. spent ten ten thousand hours uh, mastering how to fire a both, fire an arrow it, through like uh, six uh, arrows a second or something. That's the one, yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't think that's possible. Yeah, well, I mean, I, Legolas would disagree with you, Marie, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But so wait, um, hang on, is the, that... the one that she Sorry. fell in love and she had to leave him because she, he was getting old and then she like and she obviously wasn't aging and she came back and he thought she was a dream. That wait, really, I mean really that's got probably me well. the reason she didn't give it to one of her babies. That's the interview with the vampire rules. Like you'd never yeah. make a baby an immortal or a child yeah, an immortal. True. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, she's li- like she's seen the dark side of it and seen how awful it is that you do lose your hum- humanity and life becomes meaningless and blah 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 do you want to impart that on someone else especially someone who like is a child and maybe can't comprehend everything like you can yeah, yeah. I, I, and also sorry i just need to interpolate not only interview with the vampire rules but because it is thematically linked to the last episode also twilight rules oh i feel <laughs> like you didn't need to do that leon <laughs> yeah i'm so I felt sorry better before that <laughs> Can I just get say that, that? Get rid of that. <laughs> <laughs> because we had this debate last week about whether she was a child or a woman, mm. and she was on the kind of on the cusp. She was like a like a late teenager, maybe when this happened to her, and maybe you know she wasn't emotionally ready for it either. She More still had a, a lot girl, of not yet a woman, is how you're describing her. <laughs> it's it's yeah. You just took the words out of my mouth, too. <laughs> 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 but hey, she's got a companion now, lovely, uh, what's he called? Sam, Sam Swift. Swift. Now, I think because he doesn't come back, the, the Doctor's bullshitting of, yeah, he probably won't make it. It probably did lose all its power in the portal. I think that's probably true. Well, and the other thing was, he says quite close to the beginning, just because you're immortal does not mean you're indestructible. So if you die, you die. like if someone kills you, you will die. Yeah, I mean, so... if you're like, incinerated, then the chip also is incinerated along with the rest of you. So that wouldn't... Like, anymore. like if Sam Swift gets caught again trying to rob another rich person and they hang him next time, like it's just going to yeah. be he's the waste of his chip and never known. Oh, okay. I mean, in my mind, you could definitely survive a hanging if you had this chip. 
you would just constantly be asphyxiated. Like, it, it, it would be the worst possible fate because you would just like hang there until someone cuts you down and chops off your head. Well, but, we had yeah. this in the episode, but it was weirdly explained because she was put on a ducking stool and drowned as a witch. But she said, I spent 100,000 hours learning how to hold my breath for a really yeah. long time. Yeah, I call so, yeah, bullshit, by the way. I call she bullshit. Come back to life. It's that yeah. she didn't die. Yeah. Yeah, I, because because if then if people see her just swimming around underwater, they're like, "That's from fucking Highlander." He wants to live forever. <laughs> Did this also make you want to watch uh, rewatch Highlander? Of course. Oh, <laughs> Drew, do you want to come over and like just binge watch the entire Highlander series? No, because do Highlander is the worst film ever. I tried to get into Highlander. Th- and after 20 minutes I was just like no I'm cutting my losses Highlander 2 is obviously the one that never exists Highlander 3 is pretty damn crap Highlander 4, 5 and I believe 6 are all made for TV and they're incredibly bad please come (laughs) over and let's watch them also you haven't lived until you've seen the TV show which does not star Connor McCloud but Colin McCloud Connor McCloud's cousin who also happens to be an immortal there can be only several (laughs) they're so good so I wanted to say a few things that we've skipped over I return to find an old man who smiles and thinks I am a dream. Freaking love that line. It's that was beautiful. another, I'm sitting up in my seat in the theatre, you know, readying my hands for applause yeah. sort of line. Standing ovation log for the end there. And I wanted to say about Maisie Williams. I know we've praised her plenty, but we praised Matt Smith over and over again for he's so young and yet he plays so old. And I feel like Maisie Williams covers a lot of his range and territory in a single episode. Where you were talking about how fun it was when they were sneaking through the house. Like that was classic Matt Smith material. Yeah. And she is preternaturally mature on top of that when she needs to be and calm and assured and just yeah there's just loads going on yeah she really i love it when she's just really calm and she just controls the scene completely she doesn't get over emotional or beg him to take her she's just so i'm not going with you then and and just but oh, she's really incredibly captivating to watch i think she does a very good job of creating a contrast between her performance in the last episode and this episode as well like yeah, she yeah, genuinely absolutely. feels more mature in this one yeah i haven't yeah. even thought about that but you're absolutely right and apparently like both episodes so were young. shot at the same time. Oh, really? Are you serious? So, I am dead serious. So she would shoot some of the girl and then some of the woman and go back to the girl. If so, that is a feat. Uh, <laughs> I assume so. I mean, there must have been a change of sets and whatever, you know, so maybe they shot them back to back. But like, according to the trivia I found online, yeah, at the same time, most likely, again, because of TV production reasons, like she could only be away from the Game of Thrones production for so long, so they just yeah. crammed a double feature into the same time. Oh, wow. Even more props to her. I wanted to ask Marie a question about Maisie as well. Oh, yeah. Because we've had previous episodes in this series where Clara has been covering up grief about Danny Pink. And I haven't seen it. And you've been like, oh, but I can see it in her performance. But she's just bottling it up and, and letting it out in various subtle ways. How do you think Maisie did here acting a carapace stretched over grief? I know it's a different kind of grief. It's the grief that comes from just sort of, well, I mean, there, there are her children dying and there's rejecting so many hundreds of years of her former life. But do you think she did a comparable job? What did you think? I think she did a fantastic job. I think it was a very different thing because it was a lot more obvious that she had this face for the doctor and she was so composed and put together and strong. And then as soon 
soon as like he turned away, you would just see her visibly crumple. But yeah, I think absolutely she got the, a massive range of emotions through. I thought she did a brilliant job. Oh, cool. I mean, again, I, I didn't see her crumbling so much. So she's just she's just pitting it to be emotionally aware. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure I wrote one down. She does. Yeah, no, but like the the one that I wrote down was the first time she did it when um she thinks that the doctor has come specifically to find her and she's so full of hope and like this is my ticket out. I'm going to finally like I've earned my stripes. I'm worthy of traveling with the doctor now. And then he is just so cold and like, yeah, no, it's just total fluke that I'm here. I didn't know you would be there. And also learning that he's seen her before. He mentions, oh, you know, I spotted you in a leper colony and didn't say hello, didn't let him know that he was there. Like, that's really cold. Mm-hmm. So, super rude. Yeah. Super rude. Yeah. And, and she's just like, just left me in a leper <laughs> colony. Like what? like, what? And yeah, the scene after that where the doctor then turns away, walks off, and it just holds quite a close frame on her face and she's looking down and it is just this like I felt that with like a very deflated moment so there's a couple of points I think throughout that she does that kind of thing yeah but she does do that you're absolutely right but she doesn't pantomime it it's not theatrical no, it's not no. overdone absolutely yeah it's really nicely done like you absolutely know what she's thinking but it's not over the top at all yeah yeah she, she's crumbling but she's not breaking she, she's yeah. not like oh and that's the end of me which makes me think of the thing i mentioned ages ago that if the doctor is justified in any way in leaving me a shielder on earth i would have liked in that final conversation for him to say a shielder one more time in his avuncular fashion and her to say no doctor i'm staying here but i'm still not a shielder i am still me yeah you haven't fixed me the way i didn't want you to i am taking the best of both the best of everything And I'm still going ahead and forging my own path through the rest of Earth's history. You haven't just done a doctor on me. Yeah, that would have been a bajillion times better. But I do feel like like he has done a doctor on her. How it ends is him questioning whether, like, does this make us enemies? Like, she says, I'm going to... I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to be on your shoulder. Which she's already done. Throughout the episode, she keeps making little nods at like, oh, where's your spaceship? And he goes, how did you know I've got a spaceship? And they're like, you're the man who always runs away. And he goes, how did you know this? I'm like, doctor, come on, stop being stupid. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, she's done her research. Like, She knows these things about you because you are everywhere in history and she's talked to people and... And there was a and she has her own personal experiences of this eleven thirty eight. Well, I'm sorry, Drew. What was that? There was a tank in Essex in eleven thirty eight, which you probably <laughs> exactly. It's like it's got to be him. But yeah, like it's clear that she's already kind of keeping tabs on him a little bit. And then yeah, that final scene, it is a little bit sort of threatening. It's like, what do you mean you keep, you know, you're keeping eyes on me? So I don't think that she, he's fixed her, and she's this sweet little Ashilda girl again. I think that she's definitely still her own person. And there's this whole debate time, about whether they are friends or foe. At the same time, you say she's still her own person, but she is, in a sense, dedicating her future to running around after the Doctor, not yeah. meeting up with him, but just defining herself, you know, by her proximity to the messes he leaves. And, yeah. you know, at this at this point, people were screaming out, please, let's have a female Doctor. Let's not have all the women in the show defined by their relationship to the Doctor. And this is happening again here. 
Yeah, true. This might be the retro rewrite. For various external reasons, she had to leave the show, but the retro rewrite is motivating her departure and granting a little bit more realism, emotional maturity, and gravitas to their actual farewell. What retro rewrite is this? Sorry, I've, I've lost track. What you've just been talking about! Oh, cool. Hooray! <laughs> Her personality, or sorry, the clash of personalities is not substantiated at the end of this episode. It's just sort of taken for granted and they part ways. But if you had actually spent some time, uh, you here being the writer, I guess, if you had actually spent some time cementing what she, what me as a person stands for and what he, the doctor, stands for and explaining why traveling together may not be mutually beneficial, certainly not to her personal progression, then I'm sure a huge part of the audience would have been more satisfied. Anywho. Yeah, no, I think that I think that wraps it up pretty well. Okay, how about we lower the brow a little bit and we talk about some other stuff. With regard to the portal, I have a... This doesn't really work. I'm really stretching to make this work, but... You're really I, stretching this space sphincter. <laughs> I have a galactic do way or a galactic don't way you oh, no. <laughs> oh flip <laughs> that, you forced that through oh, that dear. was painful oh hell yeah uh, <laughs> all right yeah sorry this is severely lowering the brow but still the galactic portal opens there is a person who is acting as the conduit for the energy from the hades whatever it was called the eyes of hades jewel whatever It's keeping the doorway open. The spaceships on the other side of the portal are assembling, and they fire rockets or whatever, lasers, through the portal. Galactic do-way or galactic don't-way, you fire these lasers at exactly the place that is keeping the portal open. (laughs) Mm, Yes. And in fact, Uh, why are they firing lasers in the first place? I'll tell you why. Because... There's a MacGuffin down there that could undo your purple MacGuffin, and so you can't leave anything to chance. But they don't know that. You must destroy that area. No, of course they don't. (laughs) (laughs) But just on the off chance. (laughs) To be fair, the thing that's keeping the portal open is the fact that the man is dying, so shooting lasers isn't going to close the portal. If anything, you might kill more people, and it might make the portal bigger. I think that carries it. I don't think it does. I don't think it does because the the eyes of Hades aren't stuck to everyone. They're stuck to this one dude. And by the way, no one even tries to just rip it off his chest. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that, that's true. I think it's probably got a fair range. Like any anyone in the vicinity who dies near it, because otherwise you have to stick it on. Actually, it just kills the person you stick it to, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, now nah, that that range thing doesn't work then. Mm, no, it is silly. It doesn't, it doesn't stand up. Why am I trying to defend it, really? What was the plan when we were going to do it on um, the chappy the chappy that was getting hung? Yeah, would, hanged. Would he have hanged? Sorry, would <laughs> would he was hung? I'm sure. Have, <laughs> would they have hung him and then put it on, or would you have to put it on while he was still alive, and that's the thing that kills him? Because otherwise, can't you just get a dead body and do it? No, they, they at have what to kill. Point do you have to attach the they, thing? The they, they have to kill someone to do it, and the reason why she chooses this guy is because he was going to be killed anyway. So she's not taking a human life out of Earth's history 
that wasn't already going to be taken out of its history. I see. So she, so she was always going to interrupt the hanging. I guess so. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's fine. I don't think it's fine. I think it's nonsense. I, 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 I think it's utter balls. Oh. And at the same time, you have this lion dude just it, freaking Ron Perlman is running around the place just straight up Ron Perlmaning. He's just wearing a tiny little hood. Occasionally, he like he pops his lion face out of the hood and goes like, "Hang him already!" Like, what the <laughs> fuck, man? Do, do people not notice that there's a lion in the square? Like, would people not just go, "Wait, wait, wait, wait!" Every everyone, chill. Let's not hang this guy. Let's have a chat with this person who is a lion. <laughs> the thing that I don't understand is why he needed her in the first place. Because he is a fire-breathing lion. Could he not have just? <laughs> He hasn't spent 10,000 hours. He hasn't learned, he hasn't spent 10,000 hours poking a key out of a keyhole. (laughs) I think that is the only obstacle for him. Because otherwise, you're absolutely right. He could just like barge, he could kick down the door, like breathe fire on everyone, grab the jewel, and like just like slap it on the nearest human. Problem solved. Just just take it back to the beginning of the episode where she's stopped the carriage and she's holding them there. And he knocks out the coachman, and so the carriage now can't go anywhere. Releases the horses, they scour it, they find the gem. He just stabs it into one of the fan shores, and that's it. End he slaps it onto he me. Just, just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he slaps it onto a shoulder because he doesn't care about her. He's not taking her with him. Problem solved. I yeah. don't know. She's pretty capable, and she's handling a pistol. I think I'm going to go with one of these fan shores, especially okay. the one with the. With the, the abundant chest area, oh, yes. of which to, to I hadn't noticed, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> no, me neither. Yeah, yeah. I, I managed to corrupt you in that second. You were doing fine till then. <laughs> yeah. Is it customary, by the way, to allow a person who's about to be executed to have a drink on the gallows and to just like spend a, however much time he likes? entertaining everyone he he's like the introductory comedian to final act which is his yeah. execution is that customary Did you not that know? That's, that's how stand-up was invented yeah that's oh, why we have that's why it's now. called stand-up exactly yeah because <laughs> it's the last time you will <laughs> exactly <laughs> i mean without any historical knowledge about this it seems pretty plausible it's theater isn't it a crowd has gathered i mean it, it's mm. it's mob rule at that point you think you would have been allowed like your last words, maybe, and he just happened to be a bit of a comedian. And there was a doctor in the house. What are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. I loved that exchange between, what's his face, Sam Swift. It, wait, hang on, sorry. Is Sam Swift not a brewery? Sam Smith. Sa- Smith. Smith. Oh, yeah. it's That's Who is also a singer. Confusing. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> the, one of the worst <laughs> James Bond themes ever. I, I loved that exchange between Sam Swift and the Doctor when they're just doing their comedic duo by the gallows. Yeah. yeah, and they get some serious mileage out of it as well. They really do. You know what they say about Guy the Big Nose? Big, big, handkerchief. A handkerchief. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd just laps it up because they've come for our hanging and they're just getting bonus content. <laughs> So we should mention Sam Swift. He is played by Rufus Hound. Yes. Uh, what trivia do you have about Rufus Hound, Drew? R- Rufus Hound is now the voice of Waffle the Wonder Dog. <laughs> oh. <laughs> who is the eponymous cockapoo hero of his own CBBC series. 
Nice. And he's also done uh, quite a bit of theatre. Some Shakespeare, One Man, Two Governors, Don Quixote. He did the panel show circuit, which was how he seemed much more familiar to me than his IMDb other, page said. Other Doctor Who alumni have done One Man, Two Governors also. Yes. And James Cats. Yeah. 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 He's everywhere. He gets around, doesn't he? Rufus Hound, I want to just point out for any Swedish listeners out there, voiced in English, Mattis in the, I believe, Amazon TV series of Ronja Rövardotter, Ronja, the robber's daughter. Well, I never. Yeah. Based on the story by Astrid Lindgren of uh, Pippi Longstocking's fame. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there you go. Little Swedish tangent. Mm. Love a Swedish. And while... <laughs> <laughs> and while we're on answers, John Hales played the hangman. His IMDb page reveals he has also played a footman, a workman, a burger man. <laughs> a burger I mean, man. I think a man who, who sells burgers. My favorite Avenger. A man <laughs> and he's about to play older Henry VIII, which goes to show oh. that even now, if you can find a famous historical figure you resemble, you will always get work. Nice. <laughs> oh, well done. Can't remember your name. <laughs> John Hales. Leandro was played by Arion Bacare. He's been in his Dark Materials and Good Omens recently. Mm. I still haven't seen it. Dark Materials. It is I good. Yeah, it. I like oh. it. Did you spot Leandro? Yeah, he was like the shining star. I couldn't take my eyes off him. Front and centre. He plays the little girl. Yeah. He plays Oxford. <laughs> he plays so Oxford. adaptable. Yeah. <laughs> He was also in the TV version of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Oh, which I still haven't finished. Mm. Yeah, all right, cool. <laughs> so, I would, that's an impressive, if you was only going to be in like four things, then, you know, four nice things to be in. Well, I glossed yeah. over the fact that he was in 637 episodes of Doctors. No. Oh. <laughs> does, he, does he play the Doctor or a Doctor? Uh, yeah, I, sp- I suppose he must do. I mean, either that or he's a very ill patient. <laughs> There's something seriously The biggest hypochondriac in the town. <laughs> what is it today, Arian? Oh. Oh. I've got oh. hair going out my ear. He's just so versatile. He plays a different patient every episode and he's unrecognisable. Yeah. Yeah. And the spin-off, Vets, he can play the cats and the lions. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, I think, largely for Drew's benefit because I, I really just want to see the reaction on his face. I'm sorry, Podcast Land, you're not going to be able to see this. Get ready to Wait, screenshot. Get <laughs> Shot, yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I will. Directly from IMDb, a shielder lives a double life as the highwayman Lord Nightmare and as the aristocrat Lady B. In the 2009 special Doctor Who, Planet of the Dead, the 10th Doctor's one-off companion in that story was Lady Christina the Fuckface, an aristocrat and jewel thief. How do you feel about this? Does this change your opinion of things in any way. Hang on, I'm really confused. It doesn't say Lady Christina de Fuckface on Wikipedia, does it? No, that was that was me editorialising. Lady Christina oh, exactly. de Souza. That, was, that, that completely derailed me, because I thought, shit, have the e- Wikipedia editors now started calling her that, thanks to me? <laughs> and immediately thoughts of my internet fame dispelled anything else that was going on so um i i see what you're saying um no i think the similarities are structural only and hey if we've got if we've, if we've had the worst of an idea then let's replace it and do it better and, and this is that okay yeah fair enough okay 
I was hoping for more screaming and maybe a, even a tear or two, but fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Another bit of trivia, there is a mention in this episode of a classic Who foe, the Pteroleptals. It's in her notes, it's in my notes. It's in her notes, it's in her notes, podcast land. It Marie, go question. for it. I had a question for you. Yes, who started the Great Fire of London? Was this a classic Who reference? It was a classic Who reference. Ooh. There is, I haven't seen this episode yet. It is a fifth Doctor no, episode. It doesn't work, it doesn't work. Okay, oh. it's a fifth Doctor episode. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, even, even less, it's a fifth doctor. Oh, <laughs> oh don't say that. I'm sure he's no, great. No, he's going to be great. I'm going to come on board for, for that. Oh, good. He's a cricket enthusiast. You'll, you'll love exactly. him. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to be rating the cricket scenes. I'm going to be Hubak Wen's cricket That's correspondent. Oh, excellent. Yes, finally, we get a cricket correspondent. I've been waiting for this. In that serial, it is, in fact, I mean, in this episode, he blames the Pteroleptals for causing the Great Fire. But in that serial, spoilers for whatever that's called, it was in fact the fifth Doctor who caused the Great Fire. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I like that. I really I liked Mew's response to there'll be a great fire across London. Oh, maybe, maybe I start it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. Wait, we put a pin in the thing. You guys were going to talk, or we guys were going to talk about Mee's backstory, all the flashbacks. Oh, yeah. we, we mentioned the, the children, but like, that was it. Uh, what else do we get in those flashbacks? She's a queen. Yeah, that was lame, by the way. Doing paperwork oh! and backgammon. I thought that line was funny. What was the line, sorry? She said it was mostly doing paperwork and playing backgammon. Yeah, that's a good yeah, line. That is a good that line. That was a good line. You didn't like her faking her own death, too. No. She creeps away from her own funeral. Oof. That was... Oh, no. Sorry. Didn't like it. Too comedic. She ended ended the Hundred Years' War. Oh, did she now? Yes, at Agincourt. Yeah. And they they would not have believed it to be a woman. That wasn't the end of the Hundred Years' War, by the way. Not at all. She did She said that. that, She did. But that was just the British high point. The Hundred Years' War ends in France reclaiming most of its territory. (laughs) Maybe she was there too, but she just doesn't want to brag. (laughs) (laughs) I do appreciate the historical accuracy uh, provided by Drew McWen, though. Thank you very much. (laughs) I had no idea. (laughs) <laughs> Next time you do a, a historical episode, Doctor Who, come and talk to us first. We'll, uh, well, Drew, we'll set you right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the rest of us will take credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was there. Can I set off for just saying I appreciated one final line, which was um, <laughs> Capaldi says... Also, can you confirm you're not my dad? And the timing, the sheer speed with which Maisie Williams says, so what do you say, dad? Yeah. <laughs> Sticks in the knife and twists it. <laughs> and then a minute later, shut up. You're not my dad. <laughs> in that same scene, by the way, one of Capaldi's lines, kill him and make an enemy of me, I, I thought was really rather nice. That was good. Just substantiating that relationship between the two. Yeah. It's like it's always on a knife edge. She just has to put one foot wrong and suddenly they're enemies. Yeah. And imagine if they were companions. Not yes. now. In a couple of seasons' time when uh, Game of Thrones has ended yeah. and they can travel together. The out of the way. There'll be yeah. plenty of these scenes. By the way, we had this in Classic Who. He teamed up with Leela, who was 
super duper feral, she would just kill people constantly, and he would constantly have to say, "Stop murdering people, okay, Lila? Yeah. Like, just stop murdering." <laughs> he asks her how many people she's killed, um, and she says, "Like, oh, well, you'd have to check my diaries." And it just made me think, like. How many people has the doctor killed, and does he even know? Oh. Is that what his library and the TARDIS is all about? It's like a Rolodex of people he's <laughs> murdered. <Yeah. laughs> or, like, unintentionally. Or by, like, what we were saying last week, he's just started kind of leaving people to it. And, so, like, you know, I've, I've done what I can. If they die now, it's their own fault for not you know being clever enough to get out of it kind of thing he doesn't he's not the hero anymore so it's very judgmental of him to kind of put that back to her yeah definitely Mm. yeah i I didn't realize all the time you've been going through and saying wouldn't it be nice if they could have brought me back and they could still bring me back couldn't they once that space like 22 or something already like she's not old (laughs) i mean this is our this is our opportunity to pitch to chris chibnall series 13 don't just yeah. bring captain jack back to christmas bring me back bring them all back clara could still be there mid heartbeat yeah well uh, I, I would i would, I would yeah <laughs> okay all right yeah I'm drew fine. you're my friend who agrees with me well, <laughs> yeah. no we've, we have a lovely uh, clara's perfect as she is i feel like maybe bringing her back would would just ruin it but we can bring me back definitely a hundred percent yeah yeah what do you think chibs Hit us up <laughs> at who back when. <laughs> Just get, reach out to us over Twitter and, and we'll sort you out with some rad scripts. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Anything else? Or shall we maybe break here and jump into ratings? Let's do that. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong. Hey, la, 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 la. Ratings. So here's my review of The Woman Who Lived. I super bloody loved this episode. It gave me all the feels. <laughs> me is fantastic. She, like, oh my god, I want her to be in every episode. I did not miss Clara at all, which is, I know is shocking. We haven't even both mentioned of you her. We haven't even mentioned her, but there's nothing to mention. Like, but, okay, so she's in, like, the last scene for a tiny little bit. She's fantastic. She gives the doctor this beautiful hug at the end, and it's so heartfelt and warm and gorgeous and delicious, and I loved it. But yeah, I did like it was nice to f- have like a like a break away from the norm and have an episode completely devoid of companion and I do feel like anyone else would have just got in the way. Like the doctor and me have such a good dynamic. They just bounce off each other so well. There's so much even though the doctor is on record that he does not like banter, they have good like banter between them. Is it banter? Maybe it's not. Anyway, but but anyway, they're fantastic. And I was going through my notes I've like the, I've written more notes for this episode than I have for like the last two series and all of them are just little quotes and there were just so many just beautiful one-liners in this some of which we've already touched upon but especially from me so like her sort of coming to terms with immortality she describes it as like she says that's the trouble with an infinite life and a normal sized memory she says i don't need to be indestructible i'm superb doctor asks her about losing people that you love she just goes according to my journals hell i love the journals the idea of just a library full of your diaries and just oh my god i just want to dive in there and read them all like it just feels like this incredible like she's lived a life that just 
you know, we can just only dream of, and she's experienced so many things. But this, this really, it's like a really bittersweet thing. She's had these incredible experiences, but it's also incredibly lonely and incredibly sad. And yeah, I just really bloody loved all of it. Oh yeah, skipping back to Clara, the last little section with her really troubled me because her last line is like, "Don't worry, daft old man, I'm not going anywhere." And obviously, if you say something like that, you are going somewhere. So I'm now very concerned what the future holds for Clara. (laughs) I feel like it's the beginning of the end, and I'm not happy. (laughs) Yeah, and did you catch me saying, how many Claras have you lost when they're in the chimney? Oh, I did. Oh, yes. Yes, and the little snapshot we get of the selfie with me in the background is just the most sinister thing I've ever seen. That was such a freaky photo. I feel like they're just teasing, like, what is to come and i am excited but i am terrified and i don't want it to end but i know it's going to anyway we'll we'll get to that and actually yeah you mentioned drew about like clara dealing with grief and how that's come about and how and she's like how it's shown and there was a there was a very similar thing with me actually i know you asked me this earlier and i wasn't re- i wasn't looking at the right section of my notes but i found it now i think when the doctor's talking about the lion he says he'll kill you and her response was he'll have to be fast if he does maybe it's about time and it's just this woman that's at the end of her tether she's experienced everything that she can imagine experiencing she needs something new and if that doesn't happen then what's the point of it all basically like she like she almost is wanting for the end and that, i just you know that's it's a very tragic thing to for someone in a show like this to say she says you didn't save my life you've trapped me inside it and then oh yes, the yes. oh the... you stole it i was saving that for my review and you nicked it <laughs> the doctor says we're a good team and her response is then take me with you i've waited longer than i should ever have lived I've lost more than I can even remember. Why not? And the, and then she screams like, "Why not?" at him in this really angry, passionate like he and he doesn't have an answer for it. And there there's there so many emotions in this episode. And I feel like last week you both rated it a lot a lot higher than I did. And I feel like it was I was missing that emotion and that passion and that drive. And I feel like if I'm gonna rate something above a four i need to be like emotionally engaged in it and that's what i was felt was missing last week it was a great episode there was you know everything ticked every boxes but it just didn't like capture anything in me whereas this week i felt so strongly for me i felt heartbroken for her i felt angry with her at the doctor i couldn't understand why he was being such an ass. <laughs> um, and now also i'm terrified for clara like it's just brought up so many emotions in me that i am ignoring i'm just gonna ignore the foe i don't care about the foe <laughs> but it was naff <laughs> it, you know oh no there's a big hole in the sky everyone's dying oh we'll just close it then and everyone goes away it was just one of these things where it was you know let's get out that squareness going and everything's fine again oh um, no don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> well done marie well done <laughs> but i don't care so what I've decided to do is I feel like you two rated last week's too high and I was on the nose. And so this week I feel it's better. <laughs> so I'm going to mirror your rating and I'm going to give it a 4.2. Wowie. <laughs> All right, Drew, I feel like you should go next. Okay. <laughs> well will, done, Marie. I will follow on from Marie's in saying that this episode is better than last week's, in my opinion. It has its weaknesses and its flaws. But it leaves me looking at the 4.2 I gave to last week's episode and thinking, why? I mean, 
or room to go higher. So I'm gonna <laughs> gonna have to re-listen to our review of it and try and figure out what's happened. But anyway, we haven't mentioned most of the cold open, where mm. not only is she leaning out Lucy Fanshaw with her decolletage, saying, "What else would you take from me, sir?" <laughs> but, Doctor, he's just blundering through the middle of the carriage, and he yeah. and he's he's saying things like, "I really was planning to listen that time, but basically I didn't. I I really will listen this time." And then later on, he's like, "If I didn't know better, I'd say this was a robbery." <laughs> <laughs> His look of bewilderment is played so straight and so well, and it's so funny. There are so many good bits in this this episode. We talked about how me challenges Doc. It's really gripping to see her put him through his paces like that. And sometimes he doesn't have an adequate response except to weasel out of it and change the subject. She remembers Clara. Yeah, I take particular note of anyone's weaknesses. I mean, how how nice is that? Clayton is deaf, so he thinks the gun going off is the door. I mean, I could talk about about all the great little bits put in this episode for another hour and 15 But more importantly, I don't think we mentioned that this was written by Catherine Tregenna. And so that makes this the first Doctor Who episode written by a woman since The Poison Sky. What? Really? Yes. Absolutely. Oh, that's deplorable. Rather, yes. Especially when clearly there's this level of material waiting to be unearthed. There were bits of this that excited in me such envy of the ability of the writer that I have to give it a way high score yes the story when broken down is very simple find a MacGuffin counteract it with the MacGuffin from last week but as a 45 minute science fiction play it doesn't cover everything but I think it's pretty darned outstanding with the time available to it it makes me want to seek out the Torchwood episodes that Catherine Tregenna wrote it's that good and maybe in harking back ever so tenuously through her to the RTD era, it's more colourful than Doctor Who has been of late. I mean, it's been excellent so far, this series. Yes, we had Vikings last week, sure. But this was an existentialist meditation camouflaged inside a caper with a series of bad puns and jokes that wring the life out of gallows humour at full throttle. What could be more appealing, I ask you? It's such an interesting exploration of what a solitary human version of the Doctor without companions would be. So much care and thought have clearly gone into this. There are some minuses. The worst thing about it, I think is how it's faintly reminiscent of Robot of Sherwood and the Witchfinders oh. too. There is something about being outside a lot in ye olde England, at least in Doctor Who's conception of it, which is really unexciting and a little deflating. <laughs> but this far surpasses those two. Capaldi has acting for days. Maisie Williams takes on a role that could have gone down as a really weird curiosity in inferior hands. It calls for some remoteness and yet some emotion, and for the most part she delivers and convinces, even if I'd still rate her as second best to Capaldi just slightly. Leandro is fine. <gasps> How dare you? He didn't have a sidekick going, oh, Leandro, we've got to save the Lyonians. <laughs> so, could have been worse. We didn't mention the Doctor's stupid screeching device, his curio scanner. Seriously, fucking program a silent mode, dude. That was actually annoying <laughs> more than anything. First when he was in the forest, and then when he was in the house. Like, switch the sound off. So Loved it. Off. <laughs> <laughs> just because the Doctor has been stupid in the same way in the past doesn't justify it here. 
and we had some retro rewrite suggestions to disguise the TV show framing a bit better as a self-contained universe. But these shortcomings, they aren't deal breakers for me. As I say, I think it's better than last week's. So come at me. I'm giving it a 4.3. That's what it drew. (laughs) I feel like I should up mine now. (laughs) (laughs) Wait till we hear what he says. Come join us up here, Leon. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's not too late, Leon. Come on. Is it because of the horse riding and how it's so slow and crap? No. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, I'd totally forgotten how funny the intro is, but it's fantastic. It, uh, yeah, it's episode has everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what we think, Leon. <laughs> well, <laughs> in that case, I will start off by saying my very, very first note whilst watching this, only last night, was, or two nights ago, oh, I'm losing time again, was... I loved the intro until the me reveal. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think maybe that could have been handled better. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Me, uh, a shielder, Arya Stark, she was tremendous in this one. It is a true tour de force <laughs> by What's-Her-Face, Maisie Williams. Incredibly impressive. As I said before, I, I feel like there is a visible, distinctive progression of character from only a week ago in, you know, New Who real time. And that is entirely to Maisie Williams' credit. Well done. There is a decent continuation of the of the arc set up in The Girl Who Died with maybe a few hints of stuff to come, but but wait, hang on, I'll put a pin in that but. <laughs> hey all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the interplay between Arya Stark and Capaldi is marvellous. Those two have a, a fantastic relationship and I, I would love to explore that further. Quite frankly, I would ex- love to explore that further in a doctor-companion relationship. As I've said before, I, I, now we can't do that anymore with Capaldi, but we can do that. We have already established, you guys established, we can absolutely do this with a, a different doctor. Maybe the current doctor, maybe the next doctor. Who who knows? Who cares? Whatever. Arya Stark should, com- should return. The alien of the week, though, and I'm sorry, I, I'm going to have to deduct some points here. The alien of the week is... As in, sorry, to clarify, the Alien of the Week double E is Alien of the Week EA. It is so incredibly unestablished, regurgitated, reused crap material of the past that is set up, given all this pomp and circumstance, and then just squandered for posterity. This has yet to be revisited, and I doubt will ever be revisited in future. Well, maybe I'll, I'll live to eat those words. But regardless... This was a missed opportunity. You could have done more with this. Make it a different feline alien or make it a completely new alien, but give this alien more agency. Show the manipulation rather than just at the very end hint at, oh, you know what, I've just been using you all along. Well... We never knew this. We never got to see this as an audience. I wanted to see maybe some kind of either inner monologue of uh, Leandro's or maybe communications between Leandro and his his fellow Leonians. (laughs) Such a naff name. It would have been nice to understand what is the, the background to his plot. But because the Alien of the Week is so weak an alien, the focus is brought onto Ashilda, Arya Stark. And don't feel like this episode does her justice. I'm really, really sorry, you guys. I don't feel like it does. At times, it feels a little soap opera-y. 
Marie is looking like he's just stabbed her in the heart podcast land. <laughs> My heart! It, I'm it, shocked. It, it really does. This is an odd situation because I didn't write a rating when I, I watched this episode, but I, I did write a bunch of bullet points of my impressions at the time, and I'm having to counterbalance them against the much better episode that the three of us have been apparently debating this evening. <laughs> and... <laughs> And I have to lend a little bit of credence to the impression that I got at the time of watching this episode. And unfortunately, I have to say that I didn't necessarily relate that much to Ashilda. I feel like her character arc progression was rushed. And I absolutely, oh my goodness, I, I said this before, it would have been so much better, even if we had the same episode later in the series or in the next series it would have been better it would have had time to marinate in its own grandeur but we didn't have that time and consequently it feels rushed and and her progression from over 500 years she has developed less as a human being than she does in maybe 25 35 rushed minutes of this episode and consequently i i I, it kind of loses credence with me the sci-fi plot one is some of the worst of the MCU paired with some of the worst of the DC universe. We have the freaking portal in the sky meets the alien foe that is never substantiated until the very apex of Act 3. It is pretty shite, to be honest with you. Don't forget the Nymon. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like we had similar arguments then. <laughs> And I guess with everything that has been discussed, you could make the argument that so very little happens in this episode that it almost qualifies as a chamber piece. And I love that. And slash, but this is a chamber piece (laughs) with ambition. It grabs bits from outside of the chamber. I freaking love Sam Swift, and I want more of Sam Swift. (laughs) So much more. I am 178% on board for puns and banter. Thank you very much. Agree to disagree, (laughs) Capaldi. It's great. I loved all of that stuff. Uh, By the way, I love the Curio Scanner. Great little gadget that it harkened back to the first Doctor, uh, uh, not Capaldi, sorry, uh, Hartnell, (laughs) Who had, I kid you not, a vibrator. That's what it was called. Okay. (laughs) This is in, I think it's called the Caveman. I feel like it's called the Caveman. It involves Caveman anyway. He was walking around with this vibrator device and it was like a glorified tricorder. It was awesome. I loved it. It was great. But, again, I feel like there are two episodes being discussed here. There's the episode that I actually watched on the television, and then there's the episode that we've discussed tonight, and there is an incongruency here. (sighs) I never put a numerical value on this, but I I shit you not, I was ready to put something in the twos. (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) Speechless. But over the course of this evening, you guys have talked me up, not just a little bit, a little bit. And I have found (laughs) a new value in this episode, in the relationship between Arya Stark and Peter Capaldi, whatever in universes, that I I did see, but I did not appreciate at the time. And now I do. And I'm going to give this a still... I'm really sorry. This is going to be so much lower than than (laughs) your scores. (laughs) It's a it's a three point 
uh, podcast land, uh, Marie is holding up fingers <laughs> to indicate... What are the fingers she's got for a dear life? Yeah, it's not a 3.10, Marie. It's a 3. It's a 3.5. It's a 3.5. That's a fine oh. score. I feel like we can count that as a win, Marie. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that it wasn't a two point something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> Joined another podcast, and you to who, yeah, Harry? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Mine and your scores have switched, Leon, between this week and last week. Oh, right, they have. It's just because you were wrong in both cases, though. So oh, I see. Well, that makes perfect that. sense, then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Watch it again. You'll you'll appreciate it more now me and Drew have explained to you how good it is. Yeah, okay, I won't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, I watched this twice because the first time I was eating my dinner and I didn't write down any notes. So the second time I watched like the first 20 minutes and then I fast forwarded all the lion stuff and then I watched the last 10 minutes (laughs) and I wasn't bored by any of it. Wow. All right. Well, shall we see if Podcast Land agrees with us? Let's. Yeah. Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250 or it would get out of hand. Writer Rudy and Cheesecakes, welcome to the Listener Mini section of this episode. We have... wrong Rooney, as Marie would like to... <laughs> I would like to say that the views of our Listener Minis do not reflect the views of the podcast or of any other righteous people who might watch Doctor <laughs> Righteous. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Two this week, and we may not have any next week. So. Oh, yeah. no. Thank you for writing it. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much. <laughs> Agree to disagree. First off, we have Eddie Rock. Rock. <laughs> Hello, Eddie. Hi, Eddie. Eddie. Hello, Eddie. <laughs> Eddie starts. As a big fan of the previous episode, I'm sad to say this follow-up left me very disappointed. I loved a shield of, but for the majority of the episode, I strongly disliked Lady Me. I yelled, I hate me! So so much at the TV that my roommate brought me a Zoloft. Oh, wow. Her disinterest in humanity should have been more subtle and not something she said in almost every sentence she spoke. You know what? That's so true, isn't it? I think they tried to capture the feeling of the last episode's quirky yet deep feeling again here and just missed the mark. The secondary antagonist was corny and cheap. A fire-breathing lion man from Leone's? That's just lazy. The plot was thin and clearly only there to flimsily connect to Mee's journey to enlightenment. It wasn't all bad, though. Unlike the Doctor, Eddie Rock loves banter and puns. They made Sam Swift the most enjoyable part of this episode, especially their stand-up routine on the gallows. How could you not like that? hey Nice! Excellent, Eddie. (laughs) Keep it going. going. Oh, well done. Eddie continues, One thing that confused me, though, I thought the tech he gave a shielder was supposed to continue to heal her, and yet they made a point of saying she could be killed as easily as anyone else. With everything she did in her life and how long she ultimately ends up living for, it's inconceivable. Inconceivable! She would not be killed. (laughs) Inconceivable! 
Inconceivable! <laughs> she would not be killed in some completely human way. In conclusion, this was a subpar episode, in my opinion. In Eddie, Ro- I would like to, in Ed Rock's opinion, that's <laughs> not in mine. In conclusion, this was a subpar episode, in Eddie Rock's opinion, and Eddie Rock gives it a one point seven out of five half-blind and deaf manservants. <laughs> Until next time. Rock on. No, you rock on, Eddie Rock. That was awesome. <laughs> Holy yeah. moly. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Fantastic yeah. review. I have qualms about the rating. I get it. I almost agree with him. If you don't <gasps> like me, you were going to just pile on the, but... the crap lion and the slightly confusing things. And this is where it's going to lead you. So oh, I get it. Absolutely, yeah. When I did my review, there was a lot of things I just just pushed to one side and ignored in this episode rather than allow them to adjust my rating. But yeah. Eddie Rock's review is a slightly more extreme version of my review had you guys not been talking me up for the past hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know I was talking you up. I just, like, Nor did I. I. We Nor did I. Page. I didn't realize until, you know, I reflected upon it. <laughs> I would have talked you up so much harder if I'd have known what was at stake. Hot. Very hot. Yeah. <laughs> it, it had to be subtle and incepted into Leon to get him to go along with it. If, if you'd set out your stall and been like, Leon, I'm going to talk you up, he would have gone, I'm going to retreat into myself. I mean, I did write it into the Google Doc. <laughs> <laughs> So in any case, very much Eddie Rock. You rock. Excellent stuff. People who are not Eddie Rock can follow Eddie Rock on Twitter. Uh, Marie, do you know where one might find Eddie Rock on Twitter? I think it's at the Eddie Rock. That's right, because there's only one of them. Because he rocks so hard. (laughs) And he is Eddie. He's not an Eddie Rock. Oh, no. He is the Eddie Rock. He is the definite (laughs) article. Fantastic. (laughs) Make that your ringtone, Eddie. (laughs) Next up, we have Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Michael Ridgway does start off with some beefs. Um, <laughs> Michael wanted a badass evil a shielder, as per GD teased at the end of The Girl Who Died. <laughs> Michael wanted her robbing people, killing them anyway, making musical instruments out of their innards, Hannibal Lecter on ketamine. This is the odd powerful moment. The scene with the baby cribs is heartbreaking, but most of her backstory is too cartoony and a shielder is too arrogant and whiny. Michael adds in the booth section, how can she forget everything? Is this really how memory works? I get the need to keep diaries, but it's not like she has Alzheimer's. Highlander never had this problem. I would say that maybe I do have early onset Alzheimer's because (laughs) to me this feels like this really is how memory works. And when I was at college, I wrote over a million words in my diaries, which sort of gives the lie as to how much I was uh, actually studying. But you ask me <laughs> about any of that. Of course I can't. I would have to go to the tomes on the shelf and get them down. And I, I feel like these days everyone is living with an infinite amount of data crammed into a finite memory space it, to me it really seemed yeah but to ring surely trick. you yeah. remember your parents and your name 
right? Like, give it another decade. What, what if you haven't you gone by that name <laughs> for... <dare> you? <laughs> what if you haven't gone by that name for the last four centuries? Like, Yeah, everyone in England is like, Ash, Ash, Ashley? Is, is that your name? <laughs> no. Do you remember every nickname... Every nickname you had as a child. I bet you that if I lived to be 500, I would still remember Ponkin, even though I have basically never gone by that name. (laughs) Well, we'll revisit this conversation in another, like, 470 years, and we'll see where we are. Oh, thank you very much. Assuming that I'm 30. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But Drew, I did the same, because obviously we've just moved house, so when we're packing up, you unpack all your boxes, and I'm like, oh, wow, a diary from when I was like 20 I don't know and I read it all and it's like it's alien it's like this this happened to someone else I don't remember these things this is Hmm. it's like reading stories yeah and that may be part of why as we argued back and forth in this episode I was like no a shielder has to remain connected to who she is because I've forgotten like 85% of who I've ever thought myself to be (laughs) (laughs) Michael continues it's a lion man you only just friggin' notice he's been wandering around in broad daylight for 10 minutes, plus another total throwaway baddie. With the producers going for a Beauty and the Beast thing, <gasps> called, it, called it Leon, uh, but with the Beast as a baddie, it feels like Forest of the Shite, <laughs> <laughs> where they had a half-good idea with Red Riding Hood but couldn't be bothered to see it through. Oh, See, I wasn't the only one who watched Ron Perlman as the Beast. <laughs> Final booth. You can't come with me because blah, blah, <laughs> bullshit. What the hell, Doctor? You're totally discriminating over the immortality thing. You could get sued. And producers, it feels like you just can't afford Maisie Williams. Maisie Williams, <laughs> as a companion, would be awesome. Agreed. Absolutely. A uh, times. <laughs> I would be on board for that. Yes. Michael also includes a one like the photo at the end was creepy perhaps she'll be badass next time right right but fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on you again so in anticipation (laughs) of being let down again i am counting this for raising expectations Michael says, the Emperor has given you a thumbs down. (laughs) And he gives this a rating, Michael, of 0.8 out of 5 lion men doing basically nothing. Yawn. (laughs) (sighs) Disagree with your rating, but holy moly. Michael, come over here and we'll enjoy a socially distanced high five. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) You're so harsh, Michael. But so big. So big. When you're that big, you can think what you like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, again, Michael is is right in everything he says. It's just the waiting, isn't it? You apply to the good bits and to the bad bits. It's like, is this a character piece or is this a sci fi story? Yeah, and do you like the character or not? Because everything hinges on the character. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, people at Podcast Land who are not Michael, would you like to either slap Michael on the wrist or slap Michael (laughs) on the arm? Then (laughs) find him on Twitter. He can be found at bad underscore. (laughs) 
underscore. Movie underscore. underscore. <laughs> club. <laughs> to clarify, that's bad underscore movie underscore underscore club. <laughs> 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 thanks Jim <laughs> and thanks Michael that concludes our review of and your review of The Woman Who Lived what have we got coming up next next up we have a classic Who review namely Megalos <laughs> After which, we are back in New Who territory with what, Marie? I believe it's the Zygon invasion with the return of... The oh, Zygons? I've name. What's that? That, oh, no, yes! No. Yes, you That woman, you're right. what's she called? Osgood. Osgood! Oh, I can't wait for Osgood. I Come know. Back. I was really quite shocked when I saw her in the next time on Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah not just her, but two of her. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Double trouble. After that, at some point in the maybe not too distant, maybe incredibly distant future, who knows, we will return to Audio Who Country with what, Drew? Prisoner of the Sun! Correct, Amundo. <laughs> <laughs> I said hiccuping midline. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but in the meantime, you can say hello to us online. Uh, Marie, I believe you uh, are on the gram. Yep, you know how to find me. It's, what is it? Ham, mash, and jelly. There we go. I can be found on the gram at ham, mash, and jelly. All in one word for your convenience. All in one word. Yeah. <laughs> what could be more convenient? Probably nothing. No, you yeah. win. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the history of convenience, <laughs> this is the crowning moment. <laughs> Forget fingerprint technology. <laughs> Yeah. True. You are not on the gram, but you are on Twitter. I am, and super conveniently, my handle rhymes with who back when. I am at Drew back when. My goodness, that is just absolutely spiffing branding. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike some. Yes. Hey, Leon, Leon, where might somebody find you if they wanted to follow you on a on a social media network? You can find me either in Webster's Dictionary's definition of rebranding in long-form process, or if you go to Twitter and look up at Ponkin, at least at the time of recording this. <laughs> if you can't spell it, make something up, you know? I'm probably there. <laughs> and if I'm not... Somebody is. <laughs> yeah, maybe you'll find someone else who's really interesting. Thank you so much for listening, Podcast Land. You have been an absolutely incredibly awesome audience, as you are week to week. We love you guys, so please stay safe, be responsible, be rad and excellent to each other, and on and ciao. Love you, bye. <laughs> You're all right. Bye-bye. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters 
posters and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha-chao. Who back when?